Facebook cool? I didn't realize Zoom can do your Facebook live. It can and YouTube live if you want. Wow. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it is Kairishi Wigginton, and we are back here with another wonderful episode of Too Much Woman for This World because we are in all of our greatness, in all of our glory, fabulousness, and all of that. Just being wonderful. Um, and we have my homegirl. I ain't talked to sis in a minute. It's about to be a good conversation because she cuts up and I cuts up and we cuts up together. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this is my friend, Asia. Asia, please tell the people about yourself. Let them know yes. who you are, what um, you do. Yeah. So I live in Detroit now. I'm a professor at Wayne State University in um, College of Education. Okay. Okay. Um, so I teach, educate, teach the people who want to become teachers around race, gender, sex. Um, and all those different things of like really understanding intersectionality and the power and oppression. And then, uh, you know, I do community work nationally and locally around education justice. And so I think in the short, that synthesizes what I'm always on or about um, and particularly really rooting and supporting and mentoring Black girls um, is really at the center of my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you in Detroit? I do. Way. so that means that when it gets hot i'm gonna have to come see you you COVID gonna have to figure it out because you know my booth i don't know if you know this but my booth thing is in detroit duele oh. duele is in detroit i forgot that is your boo y'all like anybody who knows Kyrie, she knows all them videos of you throwing it on him i forgot yeah. so he actually lives here yeah he's in detroit i didn't know that he's i knew he was from here but i didn't know he's like actually mm-hmm. here. Not yes. somewhere. Um, last, I've been here, I guess, going on a year and a half almost. Yeah, year and a half. That's exciting. So, uh, riddle me this What is the story of your body? Oh, what do you mean when you ask that? That's a, that's a big question. You're like, how are we just going to kick it? And then you answer deep. <laughs> When you're asking a question, what are you envisioning? <laughs> uh, like what, what, what? If your body could talk, what would it say? What are the bumps and bruises? What is, mm. what is like the, what are the consistent themes? What are some of the challenges? Like, what's yeah. your body? I feel like I have. So I've always been a bigger girl. Always been taller. Always wider. Forever. Um, even like when I was like really active, like I have had to learn to accept that this body ain't never going to be a skinny girl body. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I played sports back to back and mm-hmm. still just, still wasn't going nowhere. Um, <laughs> but it's funny because I actually feel like the older I have gotten, I think the more conscious I have gotten about my body. And I think I have to do more, um, more work around loving my body and taking up being like okay about taking up space mm-hmm. um and it's interesting to me because you would think as a kid when people are making fun of you you know when kids are younger and we make fun of each other but one thing that I always was good at is um I was always good at the dozens you know I was always good at roasting like I was always like <laughs> if all you got is that I'm fat <laughs> I'm about to get you, your mama, your sister, your cousin. Listen, 
I remember, so I cried. I used to cry from like kindergarten to the ninth grade. I cried because they was calling me fat, right? And then one day I was like, fuck this. I'm not crying no more. It just hit me. And I was like, are we bagging? Bet that. Please right. make jokes interesting. Because I done heard every fat joke you can imagine. So, and what? Okay, it's out there. I'm fat. And what? And you're right. I'm about to get you. Because you, you're not used to being on the other end of getting hurt, your feelings hurt. I yep. am. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. So I feel like as a kid, of course I had those moments coming for me, but I also was bolder in what I would have worn, right? Like I was bolder and putting on a two piece at a young age. Like I was just bolder in ways that I felt like, um, you know, with, with this body, I played basketball. I got to take up space, right? If like I'm holding down the, the fort. Um, so it's interesting. I feel like the older I have gotten, the more conscious I've been about like how much space my body takes up. Um, and so I feel like I, I'm doing more work at this age around self-love, around like, Ooh. all right, girl, we we are like, <laughs> like even in this pandemic, it has been important to me some days to put on real clothes <laughs> and makeup just to be like center myself around you that you that chick, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, so yeah, definitely. I mean, I will say it's encouraging though. Because I feel like even when, like, now when I think about it, too, like, I feel like, like, I went back to some of the old shows, like, the Parkers and stuff right now, and Living Single, and so I feel like also, like, as, as younger, like, we've seen that, though. Like, as much as it's, like, like, we definitely, what we understood to be sexy, and particularly in the Black community, definitely changed, shifted at some point. Mm -hmm. Like, as when I was a younger person, like, Khadijah, listen, till this day when I watch Living Single, I'm like, Khadijah was pulling fine dudes. All regularly. Of, all of them. Regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I go back and I'm watching the Parkers and I'm like, let me tell you something. Not only Kim, but her mama, Monique ain't had one. <laughs> that wasn't fine, right? Mm -hmm. And so I felt like, you know, we had that for a minute. And then I feel like there's this long period where we haven't seen big girls who aren't in the caricature of what it means to be a big girl. Yeah. So I do feel like I'm so inspired by like more folks, especially us being able to take over places like YouTube, IG, and Facebook in ways that we don't have to go through no gatekeeper. Um, I think that has been beautiful for me and helping me to be like, get comfortable in my body, seeing everybody else who was like taking up space in that way. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. What's interesting, um, I watched, I don't even know how I, I think one of my students was watching the Parkers or whatever. And I was like, Kim wasn't even really fat. Like, she the, wasn't, you know. The way that really they talked wasn't. about her. She really wasn't. She was bigger than the other girls, but she wasn't fat. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's so funny because like, I think this is also what, what happens when you look back at old pictures of even yourself. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's moments where I'm like, I wasn't really fat in the moment. Like there were moments that I'm definitely like you were solid, <laughs> but you wasn't fat, <laughs> right? But you, but but whatever. But for whatever reason, you know what I mean. Like from all the different external stuff, I felt bigger at the moment. <laughs> I had this experience the other day. I posted and I was like looking and I was like, I would kill to have those thighs again. Like when I had those thighs, I thought they were horrible. Like like right. I thought when I was that size that I weighed what I weigh now. Like I, I felt like I was this big, right? And I, looking back, I'm like, I wasted so many years 
so many good body years on, mm-hmm. on Low Self Esteem when it, it didn't even match. It didn't even match. It yeah. Didn't match. Where are you from originally? So I'm originally from um, a small town outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So still in Pennsylvania um, and on the East Coast. Yeah. So in Pennsylvania, that's like central Pennsylvania, two hours away from like Philly and stuff like that. So yeah. So what what is what was body like there? So I grew up in Southern California, right? Mm-hmm. And I always think about like, ooh, what would my life have been like if I would have grown up in the South or in like Oakland or place like that, right? Where there's an appreciation for thick, right? Mm-hmm. So when I see my young people, they don't have, and not that they don't have any issues, but the, to the degree that I did, they don't have that because there's a space and an appreciation for thick women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was life like in Southern California just didn't like, you know, Southern, it's Hollywood. So the closer to white, the better, right? The closer to thin, the better. Um, and so what was it like for you and where you grew up in Pennsylvania? Like, what was the standard like and what were the messages like? I think it wasn't as taboo to date a big girl. Um, but I also feel like to some extent, a lot of it still lied in a lot of fetishization about big girls. You know mm. what I mean? Because that was still very clear a marker of like you. So like, I always grew up though. Like, so that was the thing. Like, I always grew up being told like, you're cute for a big girl, right? Like, so how we even talk about Darcy's girl. So it's always was this thing around you're cute for a big girl. And so, you know, so yeah. So I I feel like in in ways there wasn't necessarily this over like, because like, as I'm thinking about my other friends who were big girls, it's like, we all had different, we had boyfriends at different points. Um. But definitely, I do feel like when I look back and have language to it, mm-hmm. I definitely think it's a fetishization or you, you know, like not only are you brave, but that boy is brave because he's dating you. Uh, it's so funny that you say that because I've had dudes, you know, because of technology, MySpace, Facebook, um, hit me up years later. I'm 45 now, so years after high school, hit me up. And be like, um, oh, like, what's up? I've always been attracted to you. And I'm like, uh, when, did, when did this happen? Like, ah. And they're like, well, you know, I've literally have had a guy tell me like, you know, I mean, you know, back then, like it wasn't like really cool. And like when my boys were thinking, da, 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 dating a fat girl, whatever. And I'm like, what's interesting is I had to live in that body. Like I, I couldn't hide the way you were, you were allowed to hide. And and now you want to sneak in and like it's cool today. Like fuck that, fuck that. Like even having like guy friends of mine who definitely had me friend zone, right? Like wanted to keep me close, but it was cool to keep me close as long as I was a friend. And then later on, like be like, you know, I used to like you. Like it is just it blows my mind. But first of all, I don't even care because let me tell you something. None of my none of my crushes really aged well. Like to be honest, like when I go back and see them, I'm like. You was worried about me being fat, and I should have been worried about you losing your hair early. I should have been worried. I'm like, I should have been worried about. You are such a mess. Thanks. You are such a mess. Such a mess. Listen, I'm like y'all didn't age well, like, and and yeah, like you said, like I'll go home and run into like certain people I had crush on who are now like, yo, what's up? And I'm just like, nothing, nothing at all. nothing i couldn't even i'm so not even there it's so out of the realm um 
what's also in, um, interesting for me, one of my homegirl in South Africa, she told me this, and I've had to think back in my life and think that it's true a lot. She says, um, she says, um, if Kaya likes you, be careful. She's like, once she puts her finger out and she's like, I want him, she's going to get you, right? Which is funny because I am, the story of myself is I'm always the homie. I've always been relegated to being the homegirl, um, the best friend, person, whatever, right? Um, but if I really think about it, a lot of the guys that I was like, I want him, I've been able to get, like, in the way that I wanted to get them. Um, but that that's not something that, I don't think that, like, how I was holding it wasn't like that. So then it ended up causing a lot of issues with my self-esteem. My cat, mm. my cat is tripping. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like, um, but but when I think back, when I, like, if I can do, if I can be objective, a lot of those guys, like, I remember uh, my best friend's uh, cousin, oh, so fine, so fine. And I remember seeing a picture of him being like, like my type, hashtag type, like I need him. And then him coming to a party, he didn't even live, we was like so, we was like an hour or so away. Him coming to a party and me flirting and then like, and then building from there, right? But that was from a picture. And then I ended up being able to manifest that. So I think similar to like how we were talking about like looking at our pictures and not seeing, realizing that we weren't that big. Like there's also a story that I've had growing up that I also need to like shift in my head. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think I probably self-sabotage moments. Like, there are definitely moments that I think from me not being comfortable with myself, yeah. like, talk myself out of a situation. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he ain't gonna like me. <laughs> or yeah. allowed myself to, like, be a friend, right? Allowed myself to get settled into the friend role of understanding I have this proximity to this person um, while still never really, you know, engaging or seeing what I wanted from that that situation. But yeah, there's definitely moments that I'm like, you definitely used to say, like, <laughs> especially if a boy was like really openly, overly into me, like I would, listen, be out of there. <laughs> really? Out of there. <laughs> You was like, uh-uh, I can't do it. No, nah, I could do it. I I get so uncomfortable. I, I used to get so uncomfortable. I mean, I think still sometimes I gotta talk myself down. I'm like, I'm like, yo, you got because I feel like I I I in my mind, I used to be like, oh, I like mysterious boys. No, girl, you like boys who are mostly closed off and you love running after them, hoping that you can change that. <laughs> That's what you love. That's real. Oh my goodness. I used to be like, nah, he mysterious. Like, <laughs> girl, he mysterious. <laughs> uh, you like wounded souls. You just, you, you want to take on a project. I sure do. I sure do. And can't even be mad when the project is over because I like, there was, there was the red flags was there. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, like along those lines, I just had this realization, like I, I love emotionally unavailable men. Like I'm here for it. It don't even matter. They could be like wounded souls and that's why they're emotionally unavailable. They, the motherfuckers could be in Africa, in New York, wherever it don't matter. They, they could have wives and girlfriends and I'm like one of five side pieces. Like 
they're somehow <laughs> they are unavailable to me, right? And I'm here for it. I love them. I love them. And I used to think that that was, I used to think that it was because they weren't choosing me um, or there was something bad about me that that that, that was happening. Mm-hmm. And when recently, I like within the last year, I've had to do this work where I'm like peeling down my layers. And what I realized is I like those relationships for a reason that mm-hmm. I don't really want to be bogged down in what the idea of, of a relationship is and what the traditional relationship is, right? And so what I do is I set up these like beautiful, loving, oh my God, romantic, great love story, emotionally unavailable situations so I can feel all the heart stuff without the other complication, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm not, I don't have to like choose him instead of my career. I don't, all the, the the real issue shit in my head, the script around love, like I choose those relationships so I don't ever have to um, interface this other junk because I want my freedom. Cause I'm wild. I, like ultimately it's really, it's really cause I'm wild, right? Huh? I'm cracking up. <laughs> you can be my love and I can have all the sex that I want with everybody else. But, but, and then I can have like the drama of the love too. And the problem is, I think I was sitting in, I've been sitting in victim around that instead of like, nah, like, bitch, you created this. Like, this is really like, this is really, this is coming from you. Like, this is really what you orchestrated because it's safe for you because this is what you like. And so you don't have to be wounded. You can make a different choice if you want to, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to wear the wounding that comes, that has come along with that. No, it's real. It's real. Let me tell you something. I have fake crushes all day. Because I don't got to worry about you breaking my heart. <laughs> listen. <laughs> you ain't going to... Listen. You so silly. You ain't going to break my heart if you... Listen, I ain't got to worry about that. Or I at least think I know what I can expect from this, right? Like, if you're emotionally unavailable, I'm, like, prepared to be like, yeah, okay. I know... I'm just... I'm watching the timer. Like... <laughs> Of how long are we gonna do this? Because <laughs> it's a game. Like to be clear, like this is a game that I am knowingly, consciously participating in. And when I'm done with it, then I can be out. Right? Yeah. Um. How? What are the barriers that your body has presented? Are there any, especially when it comes to academia, since you're an academic? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm always been conscious, especially going through education and schooling systems, particularly because most, you know, teachers are white women. I've always been conscious in that way of interacting with white women at this size, like being a black woman and at this size. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like even within academia and the job at the job, like I definitely am very conscious about how I'm making other folks comfortable. Mm -hmm. Even sometimes I feel like at my own discomfort. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very like, because and my facial expressions will like (laughs) tell it all in a minute. But I I realize like a lot of times in those spaces, especially when I feel like I have to correct white women, I also feel like I have to do that very like smiley, lower tone, sweeter tone, 
like you know what I mean like there's a whole script that happens in my head of like <laughs> because I know how fast that anything that I can say becomes I'm intimidated mm-hmm. no definitely one of the I remember I had this moment a couple of years ago work I worked in education for over 20 years and I'm at this moment at my job and even with the Latinas some of them are like white presenting Latinas mm-hmm. um, and uh I was like, oh, I need to cry. Got it. You need me to produce some tears? What What are the words that, you, you know, I don't feel safe and um, I'm not comfortable and the, the buzzwords that they use? Let me start using those because that's the language that you understand, um, that I am actually human and I have real feelings. But until you see me cry, you're not going to see that me as, as having value in that way. And you're going to think that it's okay to... to create harm and, and to, to behave towards me the way you've been behaving. So no, 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 I'm, I'm gonna flip it on you. No, it's real. I have a piece that I just worked on with my homegirls. Hey, Parima and Ree. Um, <laughs> that's probably gonna come out sometime in 2021. But like part of us, like part of it was us really journaling as women of color, like me and Ree, black women, um, Parima as, you know, black, Latin, Latina, like we were just really, processing our journeys mm-hmm. uh, in educational institutions. And it was so funny when we came together to talk about the journaling of how much of um, how much violence that we experienced at the hands of white women. Um, and talking about also like this, I like one of the stories that for me that really stuck out is like, I feel like I be having tension with white women because I won't cry for them. Like they, like they, like I had an advisor like this, I had a college professor like this, like they, I, I'm so serious. Like their beef with me is like, in order for me to feel like as a white woman, I'm on some social justice-ish, I need to be able to be trusted by this black woman to be vulnerable with me. And her refusal to be vulnerable with me makes me uncomfortable because then I can't say I'm a damn white woman. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely feel that tension of like folks waiting for you to. Right now, I feel like at work we're having this reckoning. Everyone's dealing with their white guilt right now after the summer, and I feel like every minute is like I just feel them watching me <laughs> and my other black coworker to be like, "Where's your emotion? <laughs> Do you care? If it does, you don't need me like waiting for me to have to prove and perform that I care." about what's happening in the space. And I'm just like, y'all just caught up. I always knew <laughs> racism <laughs> and police were like, y'all decided this summer to have y'all little book clubs and now y'all having a reckoning and that's on you. That's what you and your guys, they ain't got nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah, I was in Target yesterday, the other day and um, I was looking for a book, this journal and there was a space and it said like, since I'm like, uplift black authors or center black authors and I was like wow like on one hand it's 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 bananas that they're just catching up right um even tuning in paying attention to uh not catching up because they got a ton of work to do but um but on another and I'm like wow like that that's not something I would have seen before uh the summer before George Floyd right um and yeah like like there's all these different things that our little tokens, but are like, what does it mean to go in a store and see like black authors, a specific section just for black and a target, like target. Nah, 
<laughs> I, I, and I feel like, you know, you remember all the emails that we got from all the stores you shopped at. Like, it just felt very surreal. Like, and, and like, I feel like I couldn't wrap my head around my emotions because on one end, like, especially working in the academy, like, it used to, it was sad to be like, Trayvon Martin happened, no one says nothing. Sandra Bland happened, no one's like, right? Like, no, like, there's literally this silence that happens in these spaces, and you show up to work the next day, you don't hold back your tears, and everybody acts like we can go on business as usual. And so it was like, this moment, I felt like people now felt the need, I guess we're in a pandemic, I guess they felt like they could be more reflective, and felt the need to stop, and you know, want to offer words and offer these things. But it, it was just weird because I was like, on one end, I was like, we've been waiting on this. But there was another end of me that was just like, I don't even want it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even want it because at the end of the day, I know y'all don't treat me right at, in these spaces. Like, at the end of the day, I can't help but think this is nothing more than lip service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, and I, when I talk to Black folks, they, they echo that. Um, I think what, what I've come to with, with George Floyd, um, one, that he was like the third or fourth in quickly, right? That, that had experienced, that, that had happened to. But normally in situations, they can say, oh, well, they're bad, or um, he was aggressive, or he wasn't, or, you know, it's all the ways that they can justify demonizing the, the person, right? And I think that that cop being on his neck from such a power position and watching the bystanders and for the, the length of time and then hearing him cry out and ask for his mom, all like the, 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 all of that made him, it's like what I, it's like the manipulation with the white women that I have to do and the, the white presenting Latinas um, where I, I, I'm like, oh, to see me, you need to hear tears. Like you need to see tears. Cool. And I think that that's what it did. Like, there was nothing about that situation with George Floyd. Even afterwards, when they tried to like demonize him, they were like, oh no, he actually was changing his life and he was doing all these great things. Mm-hmm. There was no place that they could lean into that was um, where they could treat, where he could just be bad, where mm-hmm. they could just like, and I think because of it, they were forced to just, and, and especially because of the time limit, they were forced to have to like sit in, like I think there was no place for them to run. They had to just. I also think though, like the uprising, I think white folks are also reckoning with like, what if black people did to us what we did to them? Say that. And I think those uprisings scared the hell out of them, right? And especially how massive they got this summer, how long they lasted. I mean, to be honest, if we look at some of the major cities, they're still out there. There still might be a smaller group, but there are still folks out on the front line. And so I really think or like, that. Or like, step wrong. <laughs> Like I really think like folks, you know, like I think all of what you said, definitely, right? Um, and then I also think, right, like this idea of like y'all, like if y'all did what we did, <laughs> like to see the anger that they kept like that that just like flooded like this this summer, that when people just was just like enough, right? Like even I mean, I was actually even surprised as some of the folks who were willing to get behind the defund police, like. The like, governors? The governors of, of California and these two white boys, California and New York? What? I mean, even like folks that I feel like, you know, like celebrities or people in your friend group that you feel like, 
you know, they before they'd be like, yo, you going too far. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it, it's been like both exciting and like worrisome to watch the work of like Angela Davis and Ruth Gilmore and Miriam Mar- Cop, like all this, this long work of trying to get us here to be a mainstream conversation. <laughs> yeah. And folks being like, this might be legitimate. <laughs> My uh my my cousin's boyfriend, he uh he says he's like, I fuck with today's generation. He's like, because he said they they feel like they're they're a part of this. They they feel like America's theirs, like they they're entitled to it, right? In a way that we we weren't raised to to feel that like we 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 understand the beast, right? But he's like, nah, they they're like, nah, this is my shit. You need to treat me a certain way. And and I think the thing when you're bringing up the 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 protest. What we saw, what I've never seen them go after CNN. I've never seen them go after a police station. They was like, we give no fucks, y'all tripping. That when you're talking about scary, it was like, oh, no, no, they're different. This, there's something different in the water with this mm-hmm. group. Their willingness to like where they're going to go. We we need to get in line, definitely. Um I wanted to say something to you about when you were talking about um, they want your tears. Mm. What was I going to say? Oh, so I I was in MFA program and my advisor, white woman, um, dancer, um, and in many ways was like um, some salvation for me, right? Like brought me into this program, could see me um, really beautiful and, and was helpful in a lot of ways or whatnot, right? But also was a white woman and wasn't and was like harmful and and I I feel like she treated it like she was only extending her hand and giving to me and like I didn't realize that that like like I I see the game right like I also give you validation right mm-hmm. I, I, <laughs> I mm-hmm. also legitimize your shit when I'm out in the world and I'm bringing all the things that I bring right so there's there's a there's a, a street cred that comes along right. with fucking with me. So don't act like you're, I'm the only one benefiting in this situation or like your help doesn't come with, um, with requirements. Cause it does, because you benefit greatly from this. And we had a head like towards the end of my um, program, I stopped messing with her and got real business because I was like, what you don't do is own me. Now I appreciate mm-hmm. your support, but I'm also clear about the game and what you don't do is on me and you're not about to manipulate me and i and i feel like that's um white liberal women can be very dangerous in that way mm-hmm. very very dangerous in that way it's and it's, it's there's these subtle passive ways that they try to control your body right it's like really passive ways of like so little things like like that tick me off is like when people email you and I feel like I get this mostly like from white women mm-hmm. email you and then they feel the need to text you, call you and then be like, oh, I and, and like come to you with urgency around, did you see my email that I sent? And I'm like, even when I see it, I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> the one you sent two hours ago? The one that had nothing that had urgency in it? <laughs> You know what I mean? And I feel like I get really triggered by that. And and almost like my young rebellious spirit shows up because I'm like, 
this is you passively trying to control where I'm at, what I'm doing, and also that you think I'm in service to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to give you no explanation why I didn't email you back right away. And I'm also just going to let you know I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not obligated to, like, like what do they say? Like, and professional decorum is, like, within 24 hours. Yes. <laughs> so that you sent it two hours ago. Yes. And, and it's crazy because there's uh, often, um, and this is the power thing, right? Because what she's extending to you is not what she's going to give back, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. So she she expects you to snap to it, but and she's not going to be pressed when it's something that might be urgent or not or whatever for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Not like that's a mutual thing. Um, no, I... I one of my favorite things I say that facetiously but like in space especially in academia when um because I worked in colleges and universities forever and then Mm -hmm. even um in high schools and um with nonprofits like mine was the convergence of nonprofit and education and when you're in spaces and you disagree with them and they start crying or they get offended or whatever and the whole room turns to protect her because you're the big bad one. And she could have said, like, suddenly whatever she said that was horrible, mean, um, inappropriate, that triggered mm-hmm. me, right? Let my voice get a little clear. Like, it's literally like the race, like, her being hurt by you being offended by her racism or harm will always trump that. Yep. And yep. it's something that I have to work against even as a Black feminist professor. Like, for me, as I'm teaching these hard conversations, having these higher conversations in the class, like that is one thing I really have had to push against of like, I can't coddle y'all. Mm-hmm. I won't coddle you. Mm-hmm. And that's part of your growth in here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need space. You can always leave and come back. But what I can't do <laughs> is continuously coddle you like the world has already coddled you into allowing you to do harm to people, but allowing you to also be victim. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> I, I used to uh, I used to supervise RAs. Excuse me. And um, and you know one of the things we had like a a dry campus, and so we would tell them um, like even if you are over twenty one, don't drink at like campus events or around students because students don't understand the different hat. Right. So a student is not going to be like, oh, well, she was off then and she was off campus. And she, like, they're going to, that's my RA. My RA was drinking. So then when you start to check your student about drinking, they're going to throw that back up in your face. Right. And, and, you know, I, my, my model of leadership in like, I'm a, I'm a developer. Um, um, I very rarely do directives. Right. And so I want to ask questions. I want to make you think like, I'm very much like my mother. I want you to think and come to the resolve. Right. But I'm going to ask the questions to help guide you there. Yeah. And uh, I had these two white student, female students that I was supervising and they got drunk at a party and they posted it. Um, and they were like something about, you know, their antics or whatever, but they posted it in a space where students could see. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't tell them to take it, the, the post down, the pictures down, nothing. But I questioned them about it. Well, they get offended because how could I do that? 
And so at the same time, I was, I'm an erotic poet, right? And I was doing erotic poetry. And I remember going on MySpace and putting on the message board, you know, you could post on on somebody's page or you Mm -hmm. could post on the message board. And the message board was like a choose in, right? Mm -hmm. So I was, we had an erotic poetry um, thing coming up and I was telling them to, you know, I posted it on that specific, for that reason. So people could choose in saying that I'm doing this uh, erotic poetry, come to, you know, to the event or whatever. They went and they filed a complaint, a sexual harassment complaint with the university and they made the university like they said it like I had taken erotic poetry piece of flyers and posted it on the dorm walls on the dorms on the doors of everybody in the building right (laughs) and so then I get investigated and at the same time I got to supervise these girls and I can't say anything to them right I can't let them know because it will be retaliation and I'm like this is the biggest bullshit and nothing happens to them like you know of course I get exonerated you know because mm-hmm. it just wasn't true like there was there was no evidence I had I hadn't done the thing that they claimed that I did right and all because they were mad that I was asking them, you keep listen keep this alcohol up here and you keep doing these posts but when you have issues um with your students rebelling against you that's your shit right so I wasn't even telling them not to but because how dare I come at them <laughs> and now now I'm being investigated for sexual harassment and then when I get exonerated but nothing happens to them no 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 slap on the wrist no no nothing no 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 recourse nothing I mean, the stories of like my colleagues particularly black women and some black men like it's the ridiculous some of the things that folks get away with saying in the evaluations um, you know, one of my colleagues got visited like a few times by the dean um, last year because people can't, kept complaining, um, particularly white women. And you know what I mean? So it just, it's really, I mean, you know, that's why, I mean, it's those white women tears, right? Like how really powerful they are. Um, while at the same time, I feel like as much as like they're looking for us to cry to be able to tap into our humanity, we also know people don't come to us the same over our tears. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like that's the other flip part to this is that I think part of part of like I know I struggle with vulnerability in, in, in other in spaces with people. And like I really have had to unpack that of like what is with like I will like if I cry in a space with people, you know that is, that I have no control over that because I'll figure out how to get out like lead, I'll figure out how to crack a joke, I'll figure like <laughs> I will maneuver in there. Like, I will dance around like y'all ain't about to get me. And I really had to like sit with that over this time. And I was like, part of it is, I'm like, and even in writing that piece with the homies, like I'm like, part of it is, is that I never felt like my tears gave me some type of privilege or gave, like, I still never felt like people came through for me in those ways, right? Like that I think white women or white girls feel. And so I'm like, so like I had to learn early, like these tears aren't really helpful to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why, you know what I mean? So that's why I don't feel the need to do this performance in certain spaces of like, I don't feel like they're helpful. Like what you, like, <laughs> y'all don't show up for black women and girls in the same way. <laughs> no, you don't. But that's why I started using, I'm, I started using that shit back on them. What are all the buzzwords? And I'm gonna say it first so that you know, I feel unsafe. 
I feel threatened. <laughs> I feel harmed. Like, um, that's aggressive. Like, <laughs> what are the things that they say to us? I'm saying it back to them. No. That's real. I, I'm changing the game because that's, that's, what, that's what you need in order to stay the fuck up off of my back, right? Right. And so let right. me... So I'm an actress. You understand all these terms. <laughs> right? Because you understand this language. You understand. And, and the, what's interesting about that language is once it's out there, and, they, and they've done a really good jo- job of framing this, that once you, you yell harm, mm-hmm. then it almost like changes everything, right? Like then mm-hmm. it's like uh, once they say that you, you're aggressive or they're scared, then it doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter what the story is. It doesn't matter what you've done or what they've done. All bets are off because now they, things have to be protected. And so I said, oh, that's a, let me adopt that. Let me claim harm. Because then what you, what you really know is, even if you don't understand my hurt or my, my trauma or anything, you know, if you pass this boundary, now I have recourse. I have legal recourse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now there are, there are things that, that I can put in place to protect myself. So I, that's what I've started doing. You is not about to. So I actually have a question for you. And so because sure. I thought you've been doing the, the body positivity. You've been doing the, the making sure black girls, big black girls, plus size black like is seen, loved, and all of that. Like since I've known you, mm-hmm. you've been kicking up your foot and letting it be known. <laughs> and then I, you know, I know tonight you were on the panel for the Me Too conversation. And so I'm wondering, so you know, and for the last four years, I've been doing sexual assault work with black girls in Chicago. And so I'm wondering for you, what are some of the overlap or intersections that you see between the work? of Me Too and understanding, like even what you've been um, exploring, celebrating around black girl body, around consent, around um, bigger bodies in particular. I think the thing for me would be the, the through line, especially cause I'm not a survivor, right? And so I, 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 I say that because I think it's important um, because I think we can kind of hide and mask like, you know, like I'm a part of a crew that I'm not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's important to name for that reason, but the through, while I'm not a survivor of sexual assault, I've had to survive things. And one of the biggest things I've had to survive is, uh, uh, fat phobia, right. And continually. Um, and today they just weaponize it often mm-hmm. with like a uh, health, right. I was talking to Sonia about this at the panel, like, um, at, or at our, our discussion, um, uh, oh, I'm so concerned for your health. I'm not, I don't care about the, the weight. That's not what it is, really. It's your health. But you're not really concerned with my health because um, medical system, you're not giving me better health care. It's not like you're invested in, in the health of this Black body, right? For real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like when I peel mm-hmm. back all of the layers, the through line is um, it is the inherent right to joy, and happiness and like um, um, mental wellness. It's like, how do we heal? How do we, and I think everybody has a right to be on a healing journey. I think that no matter what your story is, and I think that the thing that they take away, especially from black girls, fat black girls, black female survivors, like the thing that gets taken away from us is feeling like we have a right to reclaim ourselves to love ourselves, to sit wholly in ourselves. Um, we don't have a right to joy, which is medicine. And I, you know, when we think about um, 
I think about, we were joking about the masturbation earlier, right? But I think about uh, how many black women suffer from um, fibroids, right? Mm-hmm. And I know, I know that somewhere with that, there, there is a connection to the lack of sex, the lack of positive sensual touch, the lack of uh, orgasms, the lack of like body joy that is being mm-hmm. experienced, right? The lack of like my creativity, my center, my womanness, the place that I move from, having voice and being expressed. I know that there is a connection there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for me that 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 is the the overlap is like where what are the ways that we are being told that we can't have access to ourselves, that we can't have access to our bodies, that our body is public domain because even though I'm not a survivor, um, fat people, you know, I'm sure you can attest to this. Like they, they, our body is public domain. It's public conversation, right? That's why they could talk about the health. Um, if my butt, my butt gets touched all the time. People just men, men, women, children, it don't matter. Like they feel like they have a right to be able to touch my butt and I should just accept it. Right. Um, it, she's all my body is always being talked about is always being judged it's always topics like she she's always game for whatever people want to do to her she's always gamed right um and i think similarly when you're a survivor like you're they have made your body public domain somebody has said that they have the right to your body whether you want to or not um and all of that takes away from your joy all of that takes away from your, your right to own yourself, to own your story, to sit in what makes you happy. And to me, joy is some of the best medicine. Like if we're talking about happiness um, and well-being, like if I don't have joy, how can I be well? Yeah. If I don't know how, and, and when uh, to me, when I listen to survivors, one of the things that I hear is um, the taking away of the joy. And almost sometimes, feeling like that's something that can never, that's out of reach, that they can never get to, right? Um, and I think even guilt around having joy, right? Like when they are experiencing joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Um, <laughs> I would say like uh, one of the things that happens when you're big is like uh, guilt around eating certain food. Like you should be in a constant bubble of like losing weight. There, people always assume that you that you should want, like you want to lose weight. Right. And if you don't like that, like they don't understand that you should. So it's like, it's like, I'm always cheating on a diet. I'm perpetually in a diet and I'm always cheating. Right. So if you see me eating foods and then feeling like I have to justify, no, 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 but I did this and I exercised this. And I, like, I always feel like, um, that's that, like, that's a lot of holding of other people's shit. Um, and so I, so I, to me, all of that to say, that I think the through line is healing, right? And how do we get to, how do we do the heavy lifting and uh, take away people's narratives and all of the junk mm-hmm. that they superimposed on us so that we can have ourselves, hold ourselves, love ourselves and and, re- and reclaim the joy that we're supposed to have. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear that because, you know, one of the things is we worked with girls from 12 to 18. And I remember we sent the girls home. We always do vagina monologues at some point. And we sent the girls, cause that, like that usually is our segue to them having like a full day of different counselors coming in, talking about their body and sex. 
And so we send them home with vagina monologues. And you know, we got a we got an email from mom, one one of the moms like, ah, <laughs> can we talk more about you know why are they sent home with vagina monologues? And you know, one thing we were, were saying, we were like, especially as an organization that was centered around sexual assault, right? And so we were like, if we can talk about harm of our bodies, our sexual assault and rape and all these different things, um, then we have to be able to talk about joy and pleasure. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> right? Like if they're old enough for a conversation about someone taking those things from them <laughs> or already having experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. Then they're old enough for us to, to talk about joy and pleasure. <laughs> but but I think it like trip this right like I think about um especially as black women like one of the things that I trip out on like how many black women there's a movement now for black women to like reclaim uh uh what do you call it breastfeeding right mm. which is a trip because we were made to be um uh wet nurses yeah right so we can give them milk our milk is okay for their children but they do a psychological mind fuck with us. And then we don't do that for ourselves. We're not, we're not feeding mm. our own babies that that nourishment, right? Mm -hmm. And there's so much contained in breast milk. Your health and well-being, like setting you up for your future, is contained in your breast milk, right? And so that's not a light thing. Um, I think how many of my how many black women I know who my girls, my students will tell me that their moms didn't tell them about their period. My mm -hmm. best friend when I was growing up. Her mother gave her the book, uh, Hey, Dear God, It's Me, Margaret, or whatever. Mm. Um, and that get that, like, I've heard multiple people say, yeah, my mom gave me a book, or she didn't really, like, she didn't, I, they just kind of had to figure it out or find out with their friends. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't get talked about. Um, I, I trip about, like, girls on um, campuses. If I see them clicked up with a boo, right? <laughs> I'm like, uh, y'all getting close. That You see that clinic over there? You going to the clinic? <laughs> you talking about uh, sex? Like, are you talking about sex? Are you talking about what's your pregnancy plan? Like what? And they're like, oh, we're just, we're not even. No, because you right now in this moment might not, but I was 14, 15, 16, 17. I was hormonal. Like I was, I know that your body is going to start speaking to you. And mm -hmm. it's good. And there's going to be a moment where you're, going to have to question and why 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 start thinking about this then why not start thinking about this ahead of time right mm -hmm. but that's not a comfortable conversation because nobody else is having it parents mm -hmm. aren't having it with their their kids right mothers aren't talking to their daughters about their body so even when you're talking about the vagina monologues i'm curious if the mothers were even talking about the sexual assault or they were like y'all could do that over there right and then when you're talking about the joy and pleasure with the the with the vagina monologues like Mama ain't even thinking about her own. Mm. When I did the vagina mama, was my first time doing it. I was 25. I was working at Cal Poly Pomona. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like. What uh, character did you do? <laughs> what'd you say? What character did you have? Uh, because he liked to look at it. I did that twice. I did because he liked to look at it twice. And I can I, see you doing it. <laughs> girl. And then I did one of the uh, the one of the newer ones, the uh, behind the hijab or something like that. Mm. So I've done it three times, um, but yeah, I did behind because he liked to look at it. But what was beautiful, you know, about doing the monologues was less about the actual performance, but was about the community that we created 
yeah. right? The conversation is about the monologues, whatever. And so I, I was like, let me go talk to every, I want to talk to everybody around me. My aunt, my mama, my niece, my cousin, my baby cousins. Let's talk about sex because now it's like, you know, I'm realizing like these conversations aren't being had openly. So I remember asking my mother um, if she had ever had an orgasm and she was like, I don't know. Now I've been coming, like coming, like me and my clit. <laughs> me and my clit. Beautiful relationship. Since I was like six or seven, right? Mm-hmm. And I, it blew me away that my mother, two children, I always say this, two children, two marriages later, and she didn't know she had had an orgasm. Mm. And I don't really think she enjoyed sex. Because I remember her, like, with my stepfather, he would, he would, like, pay her for sex. That was like, she was like, <laughs> fair exchange ain't a robbery. I don't want to fuck them. I want to shop. <laughs> they would go on vacation. And literally, like, the whole setup of, like, him, them having sex and him leaving the money on the nightstand. So she'd go shop, right? Like, that was their thing. But I think it's because she never developed a sound relationship with sex mm-hmm. like I don't I don't know if she ever got to a place of like real enjoyment I she's not here because I would love to have those um those conversations with her but that's that was the impetus one of the biggest impetus for me to start my sex podcast because I was like women aren't talking like we we're not having these conversations with one another no that's real <laughs> I feel like I'm that friend that always like opening the floodgates. Like y'all, y'all masturbate. What y'all you? <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, it's really important. Kind of like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, I think trying to have those conversations with older generations. I mean, I always think about that, even about sexual assault of like how many of young people who never either had the conversation with their parents or that they they got enough from their parents where they're like there's a eludedness there around like oh you may have been harmed and how much unhealing goes in that time that continues to perpetuate this like silence mm-hmm. that even happens amongst folks who are survivors and what else so yeah no and, and i think you know i think more than anything it is it is the consistent if we're just not even thinking about the big bubble of survivors, but if we're thinking about Black women specifically, mm-hmm. right? It is the consistent messaging that we are not our own. Mm-hmm. We are not ourselves. Our bodies are not ours. We don't deserve them. We don't have act like we shouldn't have full access to them. Um, we shouldn't, and all that 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 represents. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that you know. I even think about like, you know, in terms of healthcare, not even just being on some fat girl shit, right? But on some black woman shit, like the assumption that we are built to take more pain. Yeah. And so then they just like, you don't even investigate because we can handle it, right? Like what what the fuck kind of like chattel slavery shit is that? Like, <laughs> like some real, like you're an oxen so you could just take it. Nah. I just remember how long I still and I still don't feel like I got like I don't get uh, migraines anymore. But when I used to I used to get horrible migraines and no one would treat them. Like everyone just kept saying take more time. Like, but no one would actually give me like a higher for like a prescription for something. Like they would not, I didn't got MRIs done. Like I'm like, listen, <laughs> when I get a migraine, 
I'm literally unable to do anything. <laughs> I have been sitting home from work <laughs> because I'm literally in that. Like, I remember I was at one work one time and my boss walked in my office and he was just like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, migraine. I was like, but I'm good. I can stay. Girl, he was like, go home now. <laughs> He's like, and if you don't feel better, I might be taking you to the hospital. Like, that's how much pain I look like, to, you know, to him. And I'm so used to it. But he just looked at me like, I can just see all over you. Like, but yeah, could not get a diagnosis. And I, and, and, and uh, it, it's so annoying. And that we have to advocate, like there's a consistent, like to be black, to be fat in this body means that I have to be constantly at war with systems that should be there for me. Uh, it's interesting. I just had like last weekend, I had like a ton of spiritual work done. Right. And in it, they were like, you know, check on your health. And I was like, but I just had like this, a full markup of my blood work before I left. Um, like in June, I just had like a full markup of my blood. Right. Um, and, and my uterus, all that stuff was shake. All of that was done. Um, but they're telling me to go and check on my health. And so I'm like, is it some fat people shit? Like, you know, just because it's spirit don't mean that humans coming through humans. So I'm trying to figure it out. Right. And they're like, nah, you need to go to a natural path. So I went to this iridologist cat. Um, he's great. Black. He's so cool. This, he's now my new like health baba, I guess. He's adopted. <laughs> <me>. <laughs> um, but in the situation, in this experience, um, one of the things, one of the things, like he had, he put me on like this cleanse. I was already going to cleanse, but he shifted my cleanse and did all this. And so I was telling my cousin about it. My cousin's a doctor and she, you know, she's like, is it science? Like, how does he know these things? All this stuff, right? And I was like, we're not going to act like Western medicine that practices science has been good to me. We're mm -hmm. not going to act like that, like, like I can go there and get just treatment. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to act like so yeah if that if that means that i got to go to the natural path and acupuncturist and i got to piecemeal my healing together then i'm gonna do that shit because i can't go into this one avenue when they see me they're going to see fat black body period mm -hmm. and whatever mood they're in whatever assumptions they're holding that is what is going to come out period mm -hmm. um, so yeah i was like we're not going to act like that um uh what when you work with the girls, what are the things that you try to convey? Like, what, are, what do you think is most important? Hmm. I think, um, I think for them, I push myself to be vulnerable in ways that I don't in other places. Um, because I want them to understand I don't have it all, have it all, and that's okay. You know what I mean? So I think like for me and the, you know, the executive director, like they look up to us so much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for them, they think like we represent the end of a healing journey. We represent the end. We represent what it means to overcome for them. Um, and while I want them to be like, you know, there's joy somewhere. <laughs> uh, I also want them to understand that I don't have it all and it's okay. <laughs> so, you know, just like how, you know, like, like I was saying, like my, my, my story with my body, like I have to, like, like most people, like I can't, like there's some days that I'm the baddest 
in the land. And there's other days that I have to get in the mirror. I have to do this. I have to do that and have, and be loving on myself. And so I try to do that with, you know, with them as well, right? Like invested in that process along the journey with them. Um, and so that also like, you know, one of the things practices that I picked up with them in sessions um, was waist beating. Like that was one of the things I picked up with them. Um, and it was something that that stuck with many of us, right? Even the girls that were smaller, like it was something that just really, one of the practices that we learned three years ago that have just really stuck in the organization around how powerful we all were feeling with our waist needs and each time we make them um, and what they represented for us collectively and then individually. And so, yeah, like I, I definitely, <laughs> you know, want them to I mean the other part of that is too is just really that they see the power of sisterhood you know because oftentimes I don't feel like black girls believe that they don't get along with black girls but they're told to believe they don't get along with other girls you know what I mean like that consistently even from older women like we don't trust girls we don't get along you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're right but for us we're always like modeling and like encouraging like let me tell you something. When I have had to, when I can think about anything I've been through and I look up and think about who was there and who was there first, who was there consistently, it's Black women. Period. has been everything. <laughs> right? So I can't afford to be like, I don't really fool with girls like that. I don't fool with all Black girls, but you better find your tribe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I call it a complicated, but I, you know, when I'm out in the world and they look at me funny or whatever, I just go, oh, that's that's a complicated black girl shit. You know, we got stuff. And I just move. I think it doesn't become an issue for me because I don't hold it. I, I see. I understand where it comes from. Yeah. I love them all and I keep on, right? Yeah. Because it, it is. It, it's that initial thing that it's that that's junk that they're filtered. How many of us, our best friends were the girls that we couldn't stand initially, right? And then they became our, like, because once you get over that stuff that people have put mm -hmm. in your ear, then I think you're, you're fine. Um, and, and you're right with the, your body, like, uh, this past summer, um, and even for me, and I, I, I was telling somebody, you know, sometimes I push myself to, to share the naked pictures mm. when I'm feeling the most insecure. Some, mm. because once it's out there, there's something about the mental judge, right? The internal judge. And once it's out there, then I can't hide then whatever it is, right? So say I gain some more weight, I'm a little heavier, you know, sometimes I just feel fatter and I'm, that, I might not be fatter. I mm -hmm. might still be the same fat I was last week because who gains weight that fast, right? But, <laughs> but I feel that mm -hmm. when I'm feeling insecure, um, like this past summer, like I, I had to take a, a minute away from, from social media and the posing, because I was like, I can't be getting other people right if I'm not right. So mm -hmm. let's go back to the basics. Let's let's go get some, let's do some of this work. And then we can read. It's gotten more challenging in the pandemic, especially, you know, like, especially after the first few months in the pandemic, I felt like everyone was on this thing of like, I'm gaining weight, right? Like even your skinniest friend is like, I'm gaining weight. And so then it became like, quickly people turned to like, <laughs> Mm -hmm. you know I gotta show y'all I'm exercising again I gotta show y'all like I'm not gonna gain the freshman 15 25 right um and so I, I wonder like how has that also impacted you through this time because like that I just remember like I remember everyone was fine with the fact that we were stuck in the house <laughs> and we eating Oreos every day 
And then, you know, folks, you know, who never been bigger than whatever saw themselves and then it became back to that yes. culture, back to like, <laughs> yes, I can't let the pandemic beat me, right? And so- Because yeah. I know you're okay being over there, but I, I, I'm not okay being over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't think that it, that it was for me about the pandemic per se, I think. Um, one of the things that happened is uh, I developed this lymphedema on my leg um, and having to like love, you know, you know, you're, you're constantly having to love yourself at different iterations, right? When you get older and I can't do so, I'm 45 now. So what my body looks like and moves like and is like at 45 is different than 10 years ago. Even though up here, I really feel like I'm like 10, like, like time hasn't passed in my mind, but my body, you know what I mean? So it, it's like, I'm constantly having to like re-love myself, recommit to this body. Um, I was going to say this earlier. My, uh, when I was younger, I would look at like magazines or things like that. And people would tell these stories and they'd be like, oh, I want to lose weight so I could love myself. And I would be so frustrated because I would be like, bullshit, mm-hmm. like, you got to do that today. Like mm-hmm. if you don't, like I got to love Kairishi today as is mm-hmm. lymphedema and all. I got to accept all the things that I don't like that are unattractive or uncomfortable. And if I want to change them, I can, but change can't come from a place of lack. Can't, yeah. Change can't come from a place of self-hate. It has to come from like, mm-hmm. I, I sat fully in this and I want to make a different choice. And I'm always, you know, it, it's always okay for me to make a different choice. Um, and and so I think that like with this, with the, with the, the pandemic, my thing was like, um, how, and some of it is I turned 45. So how I turned 45 during the pandemic. So it was like, how am I going to level myself? Um, I One of the big things for me is because of my injuries, I haven't been able to really dance. And mm-hmm. I want to dance. And I decided, like, I was like, I, I, I want I want to dance at 46. Like, I want the rest of my life. I want 45 to be the last year that I don't have full access to my body the way that mm-hmm. I'm used to. I want to be able to dance. I'm a mover. Like, I'm like you, like historically, I was an athlete. I've been dancing my whole life. Like I've always been active. I was in marching band. I've always been doing things. Mm-hmm. This is the most sedentary I've ever been in my life. And I don't want this to be my story moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, I think one of the things that's hard is, uh, I was talking to my friend about this the other day, is how do you engage in losing weight without attacking yourself? without going through the, the normal rabbit hole of like bullshit, without uh, being like, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, how do I, and that's hard to do because I've been put on diets and so much of my frame around losing weight has been, I'm not enough. And so um, how do I consciously go into a healthy practice of like getting back to my body without attacking my body? And so I think mm. that that's what it was this summer was like, it was less about the pandemic and it was more about the work that the pandemic unearthed for me to do, right? Mm. Like the, the space, I didn't have the same distractions. So what I got to, to go in and see like, who do I want to be in one year, five years? Like, how do I want to live my life, right? And what are the truths that I have to get to to get there, so. No, that's real. 
yeah, this, this, this <laughs> being in this pandemic, spending all this time with ourselves, Lord. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I asked for this much of a reflection period. <laughs> like, uh, this was cool for a minute, but now I'm like, I think I know myself too well. <laughs> well, yeah. well, and my hope is that people really use this time to, to do the work, like to go in. Mm -hmm. Shit, I started therapy. Like I'm, I'm doing things. I just told you last weekend they kicked my butt spiritually. Like I, I, I was so drained last weekend. But it's all because what I said I wanted, the intention I put out there, um, and the reflection that has come through the pandemic is getting me to that place. Like it's, it's all the work, and I think um, it would be a waste for people to let this period go by and be the same on the other end. Hmm. Like we have this opportunity, like 2020 has in many ways it's fucked up, but it also is like a huge blessing and like, don't waste the blessing. Like, that's my thing to people like do, do the work. The work is hard. The work does not feel good. And I'm having to do it myself. It don't feel good, but why would I want to be the same that I was before we entered into this thing? It's real. It's real. And I think, I, I mean, I think there's an emphasis, right? Like on this personal transformation, because I feel like folks are checking off to-do lists and goals or feel like that's what they should be doing versus thinking about our actual personal, like this moment as part of like our personal transformation of like, you know, and then so waking around, I don't want to ever go back to being normal because normal was like very sickening and very <laughs> problematic in many ways. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't have access to yourself for a bunch of reasons in a whole other way. Right. So yeah, I agree. I, I, and I do think like, it can't just be the checklist. Like as much as I want to end in the pandemic with product and like, look, look at this list of things that I've accomplished, um, that I was able to create and produce. I also want to make sure this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so thank you. Uh, what is one, like, if you could talk to, like, little Asia. <laughs> Asia. Age Asia, and you was going to give her one final message. What would you tell her? Mm. I mean, I definitely will be something around your life is not going to revolve around you getting married and having kids, and that's okay. Wow. Like all the things that you thought that you were going to have between 24 and 26. For some reason, 24 was a magical number for me. I don't know why, but whenever I played Barbies, they were 24. <laughs> like they were like legal enough to drink, <laughs> but they didn't seem old. You know, when you were a kid, 30 seems old. So I was, I don't know what it was. 24 was just magical to me. Like that's, this is the perfect age. And, you know, and as a kid, you know, I definitely, not that I don't desire marriage now. And I, I think I'm in a place where I don't know, like, either way for me of having kids. But I think, I, you know, growing up, you think that's the biggest accomplishment you can have. I never in my life thought I was going to become Dr. Renouf. Uh, I never in life thought I would travel to places I would meet the people. And how much I would value that. Like, how much, like, I would value... <laughs> all those different things. I mean, my friendships, my sisterhood, like I got friends that we've been friends in second grade. Like there's a group of girls that I go home, group of women that I go home and hang out with that we've been friends in second grade. And so 
I just think like, yeah, I would have definitely told myself like, <laughs> that's not going to be your greatest gift, sis. <laughs> and, and that's cool. We had, uh, we did uh, one of the um, sessions with uh, Me Too or the webinar series. The first one, we, it was about our, our bodies, our stories, our stories. And uh, we had uh, Jennifer Johns on and Letitia, I'm going to mess up her name. Um, anyways, her name is Letitia. Um, but we had her them on and Letitia said, she said she was raised to believe that her body was God's, then her father's, then her husband's, then her kids. She wasn't even in the list of the top four. <laughs> like it was, it was everybody else's right. And, and, and we are, um, we're told like, I just thought I was going to have kids too. Like, I just thought I was like, and I, I always thought I was going to have children. I love kids. Like it just was, it was a no brainer to me. Right. Um, and I think if that's not everybody's story, that's not success for everybody. Um, that's not womanhood for everybody. And I don't want them. Like when I went again, peeling back the layers, like when I had to do some hard truths, I don't want no, I don't want to breastfeed because to be a mother, I know I'd have to be a kind of mother, right? Right. There's a kind of time and energy I would have to put into my children, right? I barely want to clean up after my cats. I don't want to change diapers. Like, <laughs> I don't want to sacrifice my Saturdays carting kids around to all of it. Like, I, I don't want to be that. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't even want to be pregnant. Like, I don't even want to share my body. <laughs> There's just things I don't want to do. And like, I have to get to some hard truths and that that's okay. Yeah, no, it's real. It's real. And so, and I didn't know how settled, like I'll be okay with that. Like, I didn't know how okay I would be about that. And I realized at certain points when I were around other people who were not okay mm -hmm. with not having those things that like, that made me uncomfortable. Cause I'm like, there's so many other things though, like that you can have or that you can do, right? Like, you know, I think that freed me up where if I wasn't, because, you know, there's moments where you like, when I get a boo, I'm going to go to Paris, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? When I get a boo, I can't wait to travel or I can't wait to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but I felt like it freed me up to be like, who am I waiting? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I buy myself flowers once a week. <laughs> I love buying myself flowers once a week. I heard that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I love that, right? And so, like, that's not dependent on me waiting on this person to come. And it'll be beautiful if I get that and someone comes and do that. But, like, I also can't be waiting on um, me to feel loved or feel spoiled or feel showered, whatever, uh, if I can do that for myself. Definitely, definitely. And the more you do it for yourself, the more you'll attract somebody who'll come in and do it. They told me the other day, this is the last thing I'll say, my uh, godmother said, she said, ooh, spirit is funny. She said, um, you like unavailable men. She said, they're unavailable to you and you're unavailable to yourself. She said, when you become ooh. available to yourself, maybe they'll become available to you. I said, oh. fine, fine, fine. <laughs> That's not the business. <laughs> this is why, let me tell you, this is why I do not be getting tarot readings because I get read every time. I almost, I think my last one was like 2019. Like, and I remember it was in the February because I was in Cali. 
Girl, I almost flipped the whole table when she read, laid out five, laid out five cards, and she read off three. And I was like, this is why I don't <laughs> like this. I don't need you to read me. <laughs> I don't that's why I'm coming here. I never get beautiful stuff. Like, even with like, you know, when the zodiac stuff comes out and they like what Gemini is supposed to say, I always get the most hardest slap in the face type of like what you gonna do in this next chapter of your life. Like I never just get beautiful. I'm mean, like, why can't I get the easy stuff? You get the work. Absolutely. All right, yeah. So I love you so much. We we can't let this time go by like this. Nick, that's, no, that's real. It's been too much. That is real. Because I want you to know, like you you will always have a connection with me. Um, I don't, I, I feel like so um, degradated <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. in that experience that we shared. And I wasn't expecting for you to stand up with me, right? And that, so because of that, I was gonna continue to self-sacrifice even though I knew it was going against like my spirit. Yeah. Um, because I, I felt like I would I would have been alone in that, right? Um, but for you to be like, nah, fuck that. Nah, nah, I can't, nah. And and for and you- the funny part is, I think we both was <clears throat> sacrificing ourselves for each other. Like that's the funny part, not knowing that, right? Like we both like this thing, right? But I'm staying because I ain't gonna leave Carisha like that. You like this ain't right, but I'm gonna stay because I ain't leaving. And then we finally was like, looked at each, we had to have a mirror, the mirror conversation. We out. When you <laughs> said that, I said the fuck hell yeah, I am out. Nah, nah, my good sis left. Bye, bye. And so I, I just want you to know, I will always appreciate you for that. That was, that was so healing for me. That was so necessary like nah i'm not your doormat and you actually don't get to treat us like that because uh, we didn't talk about this but one of the things that happens with fat black girls is that we become mammified right and and Mm -hmm. and you want us even when you're talking about the white women and um and all that stuff that they do to us part of they all those negative things but also take care of them and and be whatever they need us to be for them in that moment and you don't get to you don't get to throw away your trash with me. You don't get to like uh, let us put all this time and energy and sacrifice and and do all this hard work and like play games and toss it aside like it's meaningless. You don't get to step on us like that. And and I would have sacrificed. And I just will always cherish you for 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 stepping up and being like you were really the one that was like nah. And when you did that you gave me the permission to be like, fuck that, we out. I think I think for both of us, we broke some things that day. Like that day was about us breaking some unhealthy, like, like because I it takes I can't leave stuff. You know what I mean? When I especially when I think it's for the good of the good of the group or whatever, I I'll stick in some stuff. I'll be mad, but I will stay. <laughs> and that to me was like Oh, that's at the stage for like, you don't stay places that don't value you. You don't stay yeah. at jobs. You don't stay in relationships. You don't stay yeah. in friendships. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, and I don't think people were ready for I don't think they expected that to happen. 
I think they thought that we were just going to continue. And no, no, you, you just don't. And I, like, I was raised to complete. My mother used to say, you don't got to do it next year, but if you start it, you finish it. And so it goes against my mm -hmm. core to quit something. So that was not something that we did lightly. That was, that was very hard, especially because of what it meant. So I just want you to know, you will always be my sister in the struggle. You always be my soul sister. <laughs> we were together. I love you, sis. I love you, sis. I love everything you're doing. Keep going. And we ain't going to wait this long again to, to check in. <laughs> and I'm going to need to come to Detroit to come see my boo so we can hang out. Everybody come over there to Texas since you out there probably having a hot girl summer. <laughs> you know. I'm, I got a hot girl life. <laughs> I, you you do, sis. I always admire that. <laughs> yes. All right. Take care, Asia. Thank you so much, love. Take care, sis. Take care. Bye.